Hey guys, Avery Carl from the Short Term Shop here. I wanted to welcome you into our 10 episode deep dive on the Outer Banks and Carolina Beach, but also to let you know that we have some supplemental materials to this on our website for you guys. It's called the shorttermshop.com. And there we have a section where you can look at properties in these markets, see what the current purchase prices are. You can set it up to save a search for you and email you anytime a new property in those markets in your price range comes out. We also have the AirDNA data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA for this market. So you can use those two things to analyze. We've got a calculator for you there too, to help tie it all together. And if you guys are ready to maybe start talking to an agent in this market, you can email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and we will connect you to our expert agents in this market. Or maybe you're not ready to do that, but you just want to hang out with us more. And that's cool because we want to hang out with you too. And we have a Facebook community where you can do that. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth, same title as my book. And it's just a community of 60,000 of our closest friends who are sharing best practices and just kind of hanging out with other real estate investors. So it's pretty cool. And we hope to see you over there. And last but not least, if you have questions, you want to talk to a real person like myself, it will be myself actually and Luke. Uh, we have an open office hours every Thursday, and you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. And you can ask us any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. But now we'll get to the episode. Short-term shows, special episodes, Carolina, uh, North Carolina, uh, uh, Outer Banks and uh, Carolina beaches. And we're going to talk about Lending, lending, it's uh, the most important part of buying a house. Uh, you, you can't buy a house without money. Um, so uh, my opinion, this is the subject that you need to uh, spend your most time uh, learning about, obsessing over. Um, and that's that's exactly what I did when I first started. I would love to go back. As a matter of fact, I should do this. I need to find the first loan officer I ever worked with um, on my first house I ever bought was a primary, which we which we did turn into a rental. Um, a live-in flip, if you will, and then became a rental. Uh, I would love to talk to her on the air because I can guarantee you she's going to remember me, even though it was just a, some stupid, you know, small little deal in the grand scheme of her career. I'm because I asked a trillion questions. That's just how I roll, though. I'm a question asker, you know, and and I really do feel that that kind of helps get me to where I'm going. It's not for everybody. Uh, Avery is the complete opposite, and she does very well in life. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a question asker. So let's, uh, let's talk loans, different types of loans. Uh, first of all, I guess let's get into conventional loans, which of course is, um, uh, Fannie Freddie, uh, you get 10 conventional loans. Um, and if you are married, you get 10 each, assuming each person has enough, um, you know, uh, W2 or, or, uh, financial backing, uh, firepower to, to close those loans, in other words, DTI, um, and uh, and that's a great place to start. I I, I would highly recommend um, starting with with conventional and, and maxing those out. Maybe even strategically, uh, because uh, you know they you can go pretty high on the purchase price and, and you get the thirty year fix. That's the benefit of the conventional. You get the thirty year fix, which is going to end up being the you know really kind of the. Uh, the most uh, cash flow, for lack of a better way to to put it, um, low low maintenance loan that you can just kind of forget about forever. Because um, eventually, if you keep in stay in real estate, you're going to end up with um, you know uh, commercial loans or portfolio loans, and those are usually only uh, for five years uh, on a 20 year term, and you got to redo them every five years. And 
So it's always kind of like, wait, wait, when's that loan due? You know, that kind of thing. Conventional, uh, Joe, what do you got for me on conventional? Is that how you started? Um, and are you still doing them, et cetera? So that was uh, 100% how I got started. And I 100% believe that that's the best place to start, mainly because you're that's where you're really getting your feet wet. You're going to learn more about the actual process. They're going to ask for everything under the sun that you can provide because this is a government back loan. And so they're going to have tons of paperwork. And I do want to kind of like lead off with a, I'm not a mortgage broker. I'm a real estate agent. I'm an investor. Like this is just what I've done. I had success doing this. It'll probably work for you. But like the rules are always changing. Like the, and there's so many cool things that you can do from the lending world that the mindset you got to have stepping into this is that you can do anything that you want across the board. You just got to know how. And you got to figure out that process because no one's just going to lay out the textbook for you of like, here's exactly how to do it because your own individual situation is going to be different. And um, lending in each state is going to be a little bit different too. Like one of the things right off the bat, like, yes, 100% with a conventional mortgage, you and your spouse can both get 10 of them. But like a random weird rule that a lot of people don't know about is that in North Carolina, like whenever you take a loan, like the way our state is set up, it actually puts you both on that loan. So you've got to have a very specific document to separate you two from that. If you both have nice W-2s and DTI, if you want that one loan not to count against you for both of you guys. And so there's there's so many little nuances that <clears throat> you just have to be prepared for going into this. But my right, personal I, story, like that's where I started. Let me make a point there. So what, what Joe's saying, and I didn't, I didn't know that about North Carolina. But what he's saying is why that why that would affect somebody is if they got to their ninth loan and they were tenth loan and they were getting ready to do their tenth loan and they found out that they were on another loan with their wife or their husband, vice versa, you would have to go and then refinance that first loan you did that you're both on the note. Uh, and that's gonna be a huge pain in the rear end and it's gonna you're gonna pay closing costs again and points and whatever else, and you're gonna have to get the, the rate. Uh, at the, that market rate, which who knows what that's going to be. could be 20 years from now. Um, so that's a very interesting. I have seen in other states uh, where the bank just automatically tries to put husband and wife on the loan. Um, and if you didn't know any better, you know, you, you just would kind of fork over your social security number. They're hitting credit on both parties and they're checking, you know, W-2 and income on both parties as well. Um, and the reason is, is because the, the loan processor, the, 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 per, the servicer of the loan, the bank, for lack of a better way to put it, um, wants that kind of second layer of, uh, oh, if this person stops paying the mortgage, then we can talk to this person about paying the mortgage again. Not an MLO. I, I have, none of us have any, uh, uh, quite frankly, any, any right to be talking about mortgage and the fact that we've done it a million times. Um, but, but yeah, so that is something to, to know going in. Um, uh, at least as a noob, I found that to be very important, uh, at least interesting, interesting that uh, that one person per loan, if possible. Now, the chances of you actually getting to 10 and 10, I don't know, it's kind of slim. Uh, uh, I, we did get there, uh, but um, it was probably right right before that where I was sick of them anyway. Uh, you, you, get, you get deep enough in your career, you kind of get sick of all that paperwork and you start to have a relationship with a bank and and they call the bank and they know who you are. And, and that's when we get into convention or commercial loans. But, um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Meg, are, are you seeing uh, most uh, most clients using com conventional loans? I would say that they are predominantly uh, using the, the conventional, although there are a lot of questions that swirl around the DSCR loans. 
Um, those were a little bit hard to come by here with the local banks. Um, I know that there's a uh, a bank here that, that is local that is now just now really providing a true DSCR loan. Um, and, you know, I think folks also that, that it's been very appealing. It's, it's, there's kind of a novelty with it, you know, that you're, you're able to use that income that that property is going to generate. And I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of dive a little bit more into that, but I would say that, um, yeah, either conventional or, or doing the DSCR. Yes. And the, I think the benefit there of the DSCR is that, uh, you know, if you're in a, situation where you don't qualify basically for a conventional loan, then the DSCR is kind of the direction you can go where they're going to qualify the property based on potential income uh, that it will make, but you are going to have to pay a little bit uh, higher rate to get that loan or maybe even some more points. Uh, although lately I have been hearing just again, not an expert, not a loan officer uh, that the DSCRs are getting uh, pretty comparable to, to conventional loans, at least as far as interest rates, uh, they're going to be a little higher, but not, uh, you know, maybe two years ago when they started to become a thing. Uh, Cause again, DSCR has not been around for that long. Um, or at least to our knowledge, not on a, not on a global scale. Um, uh, they were, they were quite a bit more expensive and they seem to be uh, kind of evening, uh, evening out. Um, Joe, what's your take on the DSCR? DSCR can be an incredible option, but it's one of those things that you want to look at the whole broad spectrum, like starting with conventional, for example, if you're buying a really large um, second home, like, let's say theoretically you do that, you bought a really large beach house here in Carolina Beach and you're running as a short-term rental. Well, they're not going to count that short-term rental income typically for two years. And so unless you just have a killer W-2 job, you got to kind of like carry that DTI. You now got to carry the DTI in your primary residence. And it's probably going to knock you out from that third purchase that you want to do from your conventional side. That's where something like a DSCR product can come in incredibly well. I've done a ton of DSCR loans, um, mainly because like I stepped into the 1099 world. I don't have the nice fancy... Um, W-2 income where they can just look at it and go, oh, you're the most lendable thing on the planet. They look at me and go, um, you have more money than you've ever made in your life, but we're not going to give you a penny. Um, that's typically where uh, you fall in, in the 1099 world. And so DSCR has been great for me. Um, I've scaled more than half of my portfolio with them at this point. And uh, I'm just now getting to the uh, the big boy level with Luke of going uh, mainly conventional with the uh, the local banks and the people that look at you as an actual person and go, hey, we like you. We're going to fund this. Um, yes, it's been nice. Commercial. commercial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So l let me tell a DTI story real quick. So I remember when I first started my career and there was a gentleman that uh, I became friends with, just, you know, local uh, real estate investor that had... Uh, uh, he was like in the nineties. It was all single family long terms. And he was in the 90 door range. And, um, uh, he just through the grapevine, I met him and, uh, I kind of like, you know, was it trying to ask him questions and things and have him kind of mentor me. And, uh, this was way back in the day before there were a million podcasts and things. And, uh, um, I remember vividly, I, I went to, uh, he had a beach house or not a beach house, but a lake house in, in, in middle Tennessee. And he was getting ready to put it on Airbnb, you know, and he was, uh, uh, he, that's why he asked me to come there. Cause I already had a few, uh, vacation homes rentals and, and he wanted, you know, I think he just wanted to kind of pick my brain a little bit. And so he had his real estate agent meet him at the house. They were just, you know, this, this was his job. And, uh, I was very impressed with all of that. And, and the house was right on the water. It was really cool. 
And, uh, and he introduced me to the real estate agent and he said, um, this is my friend, Luke. He's uh, really hooked on real estate, but he's still worried about DTI. And then they both laughed at me. Um, and that was, uh, when I realized that, you know, people that are really in this business don't worry about it. And so I stopped worrying about it because, you know, those first year or two DTI is like a huge deal, but the de here's the thing after two years, three years, your properties are going to be on your tax return as income producing, and they will work in your, in, in favor of your DTI. So, um, all that to be said, if you're new and you're freaking out, oh my goodness, I'm never going to get another loan. Just slow down. Okay. Be patient. Real estate is all about, it's, patient, it's a patience game anyway, which is something that it's taught me because I never have had any. But here's another thing. If you're out of DTI, you're probably also out of cash. Unless you're in a weird situation like Joe, where you're like kind of, you know, way up there, number of doors, and you're a heavy hitter on the real estate agent side of things or heavy 1099 of any kind. Most regular people, if you're out of DTI, you're out of cash. They kind of go hand in hand. And it's like the, the loan, the loan is kind of made to say, hey, you, let's take it easy. Like spend another six months coming up with that next down payment. Then your DTI is going to be reset because you got a tax return and then we're good. We're back in business, you know? So patience to me has always been um, a, a, a huge part of rental real estate. Uh, and hopefully my story uh, provided some value. Uh, commercial loans, you mentioned, Joe, uh, I, I agree. I, I, uh, I at some point in my career decided to move everything to, I didn't know, I didn't have, had no choice um, to local banks. There's some downsides there, especially in short term. Um, number one, you're only going to get it in most cases a 20 year AM. In other words, uh, the the prop the uh, the loan is amortized over the period of 20 years, um, which means uh, it's going to act and smell like a, a 20 year mortgage, although it's only a five year mortgage uh, based on 20 year period of time. Uh, so, in other words, usually it's going to be a 520, right? Uh, sometimes you can get seven, sometimes a uh, seven year fixed. Uh, Fix is not exactly the right word there, but you get my point. And then sometimes you can get a 25-year AM. You have to have a really good relationship with a bank to get 25-year AM. And a relationship with a bank translates to cash money in that bank. Uh, in other words, you need to be a pretty big baller. And if you're a huge baller, why are you doing 25-year AM anyway? You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's get this loan paid off a little sooner. Go back to the 20-year AM, that kind of thing. So there's a lot to, to, uh, to learn there. Most of which will happen uh, as you get, you know, past the 10, 15 door um, uh, uh, range. Anything to add there, Joe or Meg on commercial loans? What did I miss? I just oh, think it's important. I know something I missed. Oh. I'll come back to okay. you. I'm sorry. Something I missed is they're not psyched, all that psyched on short terms, uh, local banks, because there's no lease and local banks tend to be pretty conservative. They're a little old fashioned um, and there's no lease in short term. So you could have all the rental history on the planet. And they may not be all that excited. That being said, again, if you have a relationship with that bank, if you have a tax return showing that you have a history of having success in this asset class, uh, having success in even long-term rentals, they will take you more seriously and they would probably be more uh, inclined to talk to you, especially, especially if that bank is in a vacation town because banks in vacation towns are very familiar with vacation homes. Anyway, sorry about that. Joe, take over. Yeah. I, I just think the important thing to remember is, is really what Meg hit right off the bat is that a majority of the transactions you're going to do in these vacation rental markets, it's probably going to be conventional. 
And so like, you really don't need to dig into the commercial world until you're at that point in your real estate career of like, Hey, like you've built your portfolio up large enough that you're no longer qualified for that. And so like, if you're just getting started, which I know a majority of our audience is most of the people that I'm working with are buying their first, second or third short-term rental. It's really dig into how do you purchase your property, especially if your goal is to scale with the least amount of capital down, that's still going to cash flow really well. Now that can mean a lot of things. A lot of people look at and go, well, I want to put the lowest down payment. That's not necessarily what it means. It's you want to look at it from a holistic standpoint of what's my interest rate going to be? What are the tax benefits? What's the future appreciation that I'm going to get on this property? And try to make your cash go as far as it can while it still hits these different rules. And so I love commercial. Commercial is incredible. It's the new realm where I'm going to be playing a lot in, but it's um, typically not your first step. And so I just think that was a great point, Meg, with the conventional and DSCR is typically where you're starting. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, conventional is the way to go. 30-year fixed. I would highly recommend, you know, I call them my 10 golden tickets. Uh, you use those on, uh, uh, if you can, maybe a little bit of a larger purchase if you're in, in a situation to be able to do that. Um, because, you know, five years are going to go by. 10 years are going to go by. And... Um, if you used one of those little, one of those 30 year fixed on some, you know, $80,000 house and, and you stay in this business for a long time, you might be saying, crap, I should have used that on a, a $400,000 house or something like that. You never know. But I also think there's a lot to be said. Uh, I, it's not that big a deal. I don't know that we need to be all that strategic with our golden tickets. Just let it rip and see where it takes you. Meg, did you have something else to add? Yeah, I wanted to uh, mention a little bit, you know, a lot of the times I'll have buyers who will come in and they'll be qualified. They want to meet with their lender. They want that pre-approval letter and they want to say, well, but we might want to close, use an entity to, to when it comes time to close. I just wanted to mention that, you know, just because you don't have that entity yet set up in North Carolina, that can be done um, during your due diligence, actually throughout the transaction, as long you know as you're ready to go by the time um, you know you get to settlement, and your closing attorney, North Carolina is not a title state. Um, you're going to have a closing attorney who's going to handle all of your your deed and you know all, all of your title work. Uh, make sure there no no uh, clouds on the deed um, or on the title. Um, but they'll also have someone in house that will be able to help you set up an LLC if you want to close um, and put that into an entity as well. Yes, and um, uh, just to be completely uh, obvious here, um, a conventional loan is not going to let you cl close in an in an LLC. A DSDR in most cases will. So if that's uh, uh, of interest to you, that's something uh, to consider. Are you guys seeing any kind of creative financing happening in your in your markets? Uh, usually that doesn't happen too much with larger, you know, like a big purchase like what we're talking about here on the beach. But uh, Joe, uh, any clients uh, using any kind of seller financing or anything like that? It's very rare, um, but it's not impossible. Um, I have done a couple actually on market um, seller financed deals um, this last year. But typically, it's a very unique situation. It's where the uh, the property's typically already paid off. Um, one in three homes in the United States are paid off, which is a pretty interesting statistic. Um, but it's got to be something where the sellers have some form of motivation for it. They either want to delay taxes in the future or something to that method. And typically, they want a considerable down payment. And so it can be a really good way to do it. Um, it's just... 
going to be very, very few and far between. You got to have to do a lot of research on the individual property. I wouldn't recommend running out there and just going, hey, like uh, we're going to send out a thousand offers and see if someone will owner finance it. Um, that's just not a very normal strategy that I see or one that has a lot of success. Yes. And what about, uh, Meg, Meg, uh, anything you ever see any subject to or, or anything? Subject uh, to not once in a blue moon, you will see a listing by a motivated seller that they will entertain the idea of doing owner financing. Um, a lot of those deals, um, when you find them, it's usually locals working with locals, like your neighbor might say, Hey, you know, I've got this empty lot, you know, would you be, you know, if you, we're going to probably put it on the market, but I'll go ahead and, you know, sell it to you if you want it and, you know, happy to do owner financing to work with you or what. I mean, so it's more kind of that the locals working with locals, I think um, we really don't see very much of it here at all. It's, it's not that it's not worth asking. We can always ask. Uh, but again, like Joe mentioned, you know, that that property needs to be owned outright by the seller to be able to, to do that. Um, refinances, uh, HELOCs, HELOans, et cetera. Um, refinances, I mean, that's a whole different thing. That's usually going to happen way down, uh, further down the road. And if you have a lot of equity or maybe you bought something in 2015 and now it's worth <laughs> however much more because the everything is much more, um, the, that's, uh, you know, you can refinance and, uh, and take that cash and, and really kind of do what you want with it. Obviously you got to pay interest on the loan. Um, we do see HELOCs a lot. Um, and, uh, I, I want to I say, be careful. If you're, you're HELOC in something to use that for a down payment for something else, be careful. Know what you're getting yourself into. Make sure you got enough cash to do something like that in your reserves. And I will also say, I see a big, to me, that's not a part of the expense for the house. I see it all the time where somebody's like, Luke, I'm not making any money. And then they'll send me their numbers and I'm like, what's this? You got an $1,800 HELOC payment. And uh, to me, that, that that's not right. It's almost like you're robbing from one to pay the other. And I, I would personally, like when I've done a HELOC, I have in the past done a HELOC back, it, it was years ago, uh, to buy a home. And I, I looked at it as uh, I needed to repay that HELOC from my day job not from the rental income. Now you can pay it back from with the rental income. I would pay it back from everywhere you can get money, to be honest, You just get it paid off and get moved on. Um, but I don't think it's right. It's too much pressure to put on that rental house uh, uh, to put that as a line item expense on the home. Uh, Joe, you have any thoughts there? If you've violated kind of the rules of real estate, which in my opinion are you buy for cash flow, you secure long-term low interest debt, and you have adequate cash reserves. If you're using a HELOC to purchase a property, you're essentially going 100% financed. And so yes. you just need to make sure that that property is going to be able to cash flow at that rate if that's what you're planning on doing. If you're going to wrap it up as, hey, I'm, I'm instead of refinancing this property, I'm doing this to HELOC. I don't personally recommend that because, I mean, HELOCs are variable, like they move with the market. And so if I'm going to be using something like that, I want it to be short term. Like I'm going to be using that. Um, however much money I pull from that HELOC to send it out, bring it back with more money on top of it, flips, um, active income, things like that is what I want to use my short-term debt for. And then everything else, I want long-term low interest debt as low as you can get. But you've essentially just uh, 100% financed your property and there's a reason banks don't want to do that. Um, I've done it on a lot of mine with 100% financing. It is possible. 
but I'm not buying normal deals when I do that. I'm buying rock star deals that are going to do incredibly well. And typically in that realm, you want something you can add value to, which finding something like that on the MLS can be difficult. That might be something where you need to build your own marketing campaign and just start going direct to seller if you're going to do 100% financing and want a deal that's that that much meat on the bone, if that makes sense. Meat on the bone. Absolutely. Um, yeah, be careful with HELOCs. Um, and uh, well said, uh, Mr. Joe. I would assume that you folks have uh, recommendations for people that you close loans with all the time. In other words, if I, come to you, if I come to you to buy a house, you'll, you'll have some folks that you can recommend to do the loan. 100%. And, you know, every person's situation is going to be a little bit different. That's why you want to connect with, find find the lender that that you work well with. I mean, it's, it's like finding a good therapist, you know, that you're going to work better with some than, than with others. Um, and they'll qualify you. They'll tell you which product is going to best fit your goals. You just, you need to be open with them, let them know your situation, and they'll, they'll point you in the right direction, put you in the right product. Um, I think that's why I particularly like using local lenders. I mean, they really are very personable and, and kind of treat you like family. I don't know. We're so small here that they really do. Absolutely. It is a small town uh, at the end of the day. Um, and again, we are not uh, licensed uh, loan originators or anything like that. Just offering some opinions here as uh, seasoned real estate folks in general. Uh, we do want to encourage you to... Uh, Educate yourself as much as possible. This is the most important subject, in my opinion. Um, Joe, did we miss anything? Yeah. One thing I want to touch on is that when I was getting started, like having that loan officer in my corner that could essentially be an advisor to like guide me through the process of where I wanted to go, they weren't just there for that very first deal. They weren't just like, hey, this is what you want to do. Great. I'm going to get you out the door. They were very much intentional with me. Like um, it was almost like a, a mastermind planning session with my lender. And um, there's been some great people like um, uh, I'm going to toot her horn in a minute, but uh, Megan at the uh, mortgage shop, she's been fantastic with a number of my clients to like kind of take them under her wing and guide them through the process of, Hey, this is what you want, but this is where you want to be in five years. Here's how we're going to build out a plan for this so that you can have um, your lending setup. Cause it's all about timing with lending, especially if you're trying to like to navigate through the conventional loan process, it's having someone that's in your corner. That's here to guide you through that. It's just hugely important. And I love my local lenders too. Like we've got a number of them as well that also offer a safe, like very similar thing, but yes, we've got fantastic people. And depending on your individual situation, a great real estate agent like Megan, I can, kind of guide you to the people that we think are going to be able to help push you in that right direction and get you to your goals. Because that's what we're here for in the day. We are just advisors that have done it in some way, shape or form. And we're really here to see you be successful. And so that's what we want here at the shop across the board. Can I zone in real quickly on something that Joe said that I think is really, really critical. And he talked about when I first got started, first thing he did was he got in touch with a lender. So he got pre-qualified. He knew what he could afford at the time. You know, when in this market that we're in and that we've been in for the last couple of years where it's moving really quickly, like when you find a house, when one gets listed and you find a house, if that's a good house, like it's going to be gone in a week. If you don't have that pre-approval letter in hand already, if you're not already speaking with your lender, you don't have any game. Like you really got to have that lender. But what Joe said about when he got started, the first thing he did was reach out with his lender who kind of helped advise him on how to get through like where he was going and, and what he wanted to do. 
Um, I think that's a that's really is a critical step. Absolutely. Well, listen, on behalf of the short term shop, uh, again, disclaimer nation, uh, none of us are uh, licensed or uh, have any, you know, disclaimer nation. Legal right to be talking about this subject, but uh, we we enjoy the enjoy the topic, and I appreciate your time. Um, and uh, on behalf of the short term show, uh, thank you, Meg and Joe. Uh, don't overthink it. <laughs>